0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Nicholas Smith of the UK's Telegraph. Good evening. And on the telephone by Taipei-based freelance journalist Ralph Jennings. Hi, Gavin. Tonight, we'll be discussing President Tsai Ing-wen's state visit to three Pacific Island allies and Hawaii, passage of amendments to the Road Traffic Management and Penalty Act, another Taiwan act being introduced by US senators, Uber being back in the news, and a map showing Taiwan as a country that didn't last very long. But we'll begin with kaohsiung Mayor hang Hang-guo-yu, courting controversy this week as he embarked on a trade trip to Hong Kong, Macau, Shenzhen and Shaman. Although he repeat he claimed that the trip was non-political he did manage to have two meetings with a couple of Beijing's leading appointees Han met with Wang Juramin the director of Beijing's liaison office in Hong Kong and the director of Beijing's Taiwan affairs office Liu Jai in Shenzhen both of which led to some loud cheers and loud boos here in Taiwan Han has described the meeting with Wang as being a pleasant conversation on topics related to family, work and the futures of Hong Kong and Kaohsiung while he went a bit further during his meeting Meeting with Liu, touting the need for Taiwan to adhere to the 1992 consensus and saying it's the only way to stabilise cross-strait ties. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen criticised Han for his meetings with the top Chinese officials, saying that he should have stood up for the Republic of China's sovereignty during the talks and told the Beijing representatives to stop suppressing Taiwan's international space. Mainland Affairs Council Minister Chen Ming-tong described Han's meetings as being extremely politically sensitive and said that his office is now considered amending the act governing relations with Hong Kong and Macau and those amendments will require approval for visits to Hong Kong and Macau by local government heads political appointees or government officials Han could also face a fine of over half a million NT for violating the current regulations and if that wasn't enough several Kaohsiung city councillors have filed a lawsuit against Han with the Kaohsiung district prosecutor's office accusing him of treason now putting the controversy to one side Han was greeted by scores of ROC flag-waving supporters on his return to Kaohsiung's Xiaogang airport, and he defended his trip, saying he didn't sell out Taiwan, and reports also saying that he negotiated some 5.2 billion NT in deals to sell agricultural products to Hong Kong, Macau, Shenzhen and Sharman. So, Ralph, they accused of selling out Taiwan, but he was on a business trip.
1: Well, we never know what these guys really talk about when they meet in China, it's- one of the classic problems that the Maingjieo government faced, you send people over there, they go to a cultural forum or an economic forum, they meet with a list of people. Most folks over here don't know who those people are, let alone what they spoke about. So whether he sold out Taiwan doesn't look like it. For one thing, he's a mayor rather than a representative of the central government here, so it's technically, legally impossible. Now, whether he made some pledge in China to one of these people who he met, about what he would do if he, if he were president someday, then we don't know that. And only if that were the case and he became president could we ever legitimately, legally accuse him of selling somebody out.
2: Well, it clearly has um, political undertones, no matter what he says. I mean, he did do a couple of trade deals, and is obviously talking business. But um, you know, even symbolically, it's it's very political. But it looks like he's he's made a calculated um, plan about this that that he's he's taken a political calculation that it won't be harmful to his longer term interests in Taiwan and his longer term interests with the electorate and. The thing is that he's he he hasn't hidden the fact that he's met all of these um, senior Hong Kong Chinese officials. He's done it very openly. Um, it would have been a lot worse if he'd just kind of secretly gone behind closed doors and not told anyone about it. But he is what he is. And, and you know, voters down the line have to make a choice about whether they want to take that risk of his closeness with China or, or whether, you know, it, it's, it's not something that, that they want to take into consideration.
0: And what about Ralph? What about these, these 5.2 billion NT in agricultural deals? I mean, obviously, he's, the Han has said that his office will release a report within one month about exactly what took place there. But do you think if these 5.2 billion figure is actually correct, it could boost his support in southern Taiwan?
1: I think that's that's true. If that's what he really did, and if he can really perform on it, the voters there would respond well to the fact that he took action. He wasn't just talking about things. That, the, the thing about Hang Guoyu, to me, ever since he was elected and took office, is that he's been, it's more, the focus is on what he's been saying instead of what he's been doing. So if he's doing this, he'll get a lot of support from farmers in southern Taiwan. That being said, Gao Xiong. Which he which he represents now, at least, is uh, a heavy industrial city, and I don't really see that these deals with farmers are going to help the industry down there. So, perhaps he's going to win some votes out on the farm, but uh, perhaps not down by the port and in the industrial parks at this point.
0: Right, of course, Nicola. He came back to a hero's welcome yesterday when he was hoisted on supporters' shoulders
2: at Shougang Airport. Do you think he's become a bit of a, a an icon? Well, he certainly has. To some people, it seems. I, I, I mean, the Taiwanese media also has a role to play in this. If if you look at the the level of coverage that he's been getting, um, it's uh, you know there's a fever pitch. He, he's he's basically you know he's good for ratings, um, and he's on TV all of the time. In fact, you know there there was even a case I think yesterday where a Taiwanese TV channel is could be fined because they've they've just shown hand too too much. Um, and you know are being accused of bias so you know he's really been built up by the media not just by his supporters you know his, his posters are everywhere in Taipei um, he's on the side of buses um, so you've kind of got to look at the way um, he has also been bolstered by social media and just it seems like there's a very kind of clear long-term strategy that, that he's putting in place and that the media has been compliant with
0: which means technically he's got a longer way to fall than someone who avoided the media, if it all goes badly wrong.
2: Well, sure, but, um, you know, is that... Maybe that's the strategy that will work. Look look at what happened with Trump. I mean, he, he kind of... He, he boosted ratings and he became hugely popular through social media, so it worked for him, and, and maybe that's a strategy that Han has just decided could work for him too.
0: Ralph, I mean, do you see it lasting, or do you see it falling apart badly within the next couple of years?
1: I agree with Nicola in terms of the media's role in this. Um, I I noticed ever since the election back in November that they really started to follow the guy, I presume because he has polled as being uh, one of, if not the most successful presidential candidate next year uh, if he decides to run and all that. So perhaps the media just glommed onto that and they followed him, as Nicola said, just all the way to the sides of buses and things like that so um he would fall and the media would probably cover the fall um you know whether he has enough organic support without the media um, to remount a social media campaign or something like that the way trump may have done uh, i don't know you know it's it's kind of like we're gonna have to see what the voters really think of him based on some of the actions that he's able to take
0: Right, moving on, and President Tsai Ing-wen jetted home to Taiwan Thursday evening following an eight-day visit to diplomatic allies in the Pacific that took her to Palau, Nauru, and the Marshall Islands. Oh, and Hawaii. While in Palau, Tsai donated Coast Guard patrol vessels to the island and signed a Coast Guard Cooperation Agreement. And Tsai addressed Nehru's parliament and witnessed the signing of a Sea Patrol Cooperation Accord between the two countries there. And she attended the first-ever Pacific Women Leaders Coalition Conference in the Marshall Islands. Tsai of course made a transit stopover in Hawaii on her way home where she participated in a forum organized by the Washington DC based Heritage Foundation during the stopover there and she told the audience via teleconference that although China's actions are bringing more challenges to cross-strait relations Taiwan is not alone and Washington's commitment to the island is better than ever. Now she also warned about the dangers of trusting Beijing when it comes to promises about Taiwan's future saying basically China China's breaking of its deal with Hong Kong shows that the same could happen with Taiwan. So, Ralph there, were you monitoring Thai's Pacific trip, or did you sort of shrug your shoulders and go, oh, it's another it's another diplomatic trip that really nobody cares about?
1: Well, I did both. I followed it because I'm supposed to for my job. Um, you know, what I really thought of it probably comes closer to your the second part of your question. Uh, that said, I, you never know what's going to happen on these adventures sometimes, sometimes. Um, China does something to intervene. Sometimes, this uh, you know you figure, you realize how strong a certain ally is and how strong somebody else isn't. the The stopover in Hawaii didn't appear that impressive because Tai had already been to several continental U.S. cities and met with higher-ranking people. That said, her speech was uh, was powerful. It, it shows that the um, the U.S. and Taiwan both see. Well, they both see Taiwan as part of this bigger Indo-Pacific strategy. I'm not sure what that's going to mushroom into, but it, it, it would appear that the bilateral relations, which have obviously improved over the past year, year and a half, may be giving Taiwan a, uh, more access um, to whatever the U.S. is up to around the region.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, Tsai, was she was doing what leaders have to do. Really, um, she was on an important diplomatic trip to to shore up links with diplomatic allies and also with the U.S. But I, in terms of how that really plays with the the general public, I, I I suspect it's like any any country that you know people aren't really are more concerned about the business of, of their own day and about the kind of daily business of government and then about leaders trips abroad um, I, I thought her meeting with the, the US general for the first time I you know that sent quite a strong signal of support from the, from the US which is always important um, and just you know her 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 talk about um, defence interests, um, and as as Ralph said, her her strong words on on Hong Kong, it's, it's all important to kind of set the narrative and to um, kind of you know bolster her image as as a strong leader. Whether it actually makes a difference domestically, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. I mean, you've got Han out there who's really kind of tapping into populist sentiment and, and I think um, President Tsai will probably find that she has to do more of that in the run-up to the election.
0: Right, of course, Tsai wen has been away. This is the sixth trip since she's been in office and every time she's come back, China has poached an ally.
2: That's correct. So and I'm, we're I'm we're sure holding our breath now. Are we? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I see what you're saying. But yeah, I I mean, look, it's inevitable. China is just going to keep picking off allies. Um, And there's the broader question of, of, you know, in terms of perception, um, that would be difficult for the government in the run up to the election. Um, It would obviously um, be unwelcome. But you know does it um does it really make a huge difference if another ally goes i mean ta- taiwan has it seems the support that it needs um even informally from from allies like the us europe japan um so uh, yes, it, it wouldn't be a good look, but I, I don't think it would make a huge difference to, to Taiwan.
0: Right, Ralph, I mean, if you, if you had a crystal ball and you could predict which ally could disappear after Tsai Ing-wen's return from this trip, could you name the country?
1: No, I saw a lot of reports um, in various English-language publications around the world, uh, none that Nicky or I work for, of course, but um, that were basically predicting which one would be the next to fall, and you see this kind of reporting before and after these trips, and before and after, well, after some ally actually leaves, then the uh, various pundits and media come out and try to anticipate who the next one is. It's hard to say. I don't think that they've, there's a, it's so choreographed that they fall right after a trip that Tide takes, especially with the United States threatening to punish the Central American ones that leave. Um, I, the South Pacific seems pretty sewed up far as I can tell. Um, the one that would really matter, of course, is the Vatican, but they, they're doing things with Taiwan and China on their own schedule, having nothing to do with the, the spat, really, between China and Taiwan. Um, so I'm not sure you can really predict it. I don't think it's a, a necessarily fo- necessarily a follow-up to the trip, although it could be. Um, and if China picks off too many allies too close to the 2020 election, then it will be perceived as meddling in that election, even if uh, tie ends up looking bad because of it.
0: Right, we can move on to another completely different topic, and that is the Road Traffic Management and Penalty Act, which lawmakers amended this week. Now, the amendments establish different penalties for motorcyclists and car owners caught driving under the influence and also increases fines for drunk driving. This is, of course, related to government moves to completely crack down on drunk driving cases due to their headline-making stories that have appeared in the local press for the past several months. Now, under the new rules, motorcycle and scooter owners now convicted of their first and second DUI offences will be subject to a fine of 90,000 NT up to 90,000 NT I should say and while third-time offenders will face a fine of 180,000 NT. Now car owners caught driving under the influence will be fined between 30,000 for the first offence. The second-time offenders will be liable to a fine of 120,000 and third-time DUI offenders will have to pay a fine of 210,000 NT. Now the amended law also states that vehicle owners who refuse to take a breathalyzer or blood test risk a fine of 180,000 NT and the suspension of their driving license and also imposes interestingly enough a possible fine of 3,000 NT on anyone who is a passenger in a vehicle driven by a drunk driver now we might all agree on those rules but the cabinet this week also approved a draft amendment to the criminal code mandating that the drunk drivers found guilty of intentional vehicular homicide could face well capital punishment
2: well i mean that's that's just a a completely extremist approach isn't it i I mean you know i have to say that generally well i'm completely against the death penalty in in any circumstances but to try to resolve a driving offense that kills people by killing more people I, i don't think will resolve anything um when it comes to the the other penalties um I'd be very much in favour of stronger penalties for, for drink driving because it is so devastating for, for everyone involved. But I also think that it needs to go further than that, that, that there needs to be a kind of wider approach to the problem. Um, you know, in in the UK, um, when there was a problem with drink driving, there was a really hard hitting government campaign on TV with some very shocking adverts and, and you know, kind of, um, they just really employed shock tactics and, and it worked. Um, you know, it, it kind of showed very graphically what the aftermath of a drink driving accident looks like. Um, and I think you, you need to employ those kind of tactics as well, using social media and, and TV or whatever medium to get the message across that it's socially to make it socially unacceptable to drink and drive. Um, you know, and I, I think you know one of the provisions that you mentioned there—that that people who are actually in the car with with um, a drunk driver—that it also puts the onus on them. That, that that you should, you know, they that people need to say no, you've drunk too much. Give me your car keys. But
0: Ralph, I mean, do you think Nicola—they're saying that the passengers should be fined, like the government said. But I mean, do you think three thousand NT is really enough to deter this happening?
1: I, I wonder about the passenger. If the passenger and the driver are related, they're in the same family, they're friends, they know what the driver's been drinking, it makes some sense. Um, I think that there's some, some logic to the law. The fine itself wouldn't be a deterrent, but it might remind the passengers to remind the drivers not to drink and drive. It, it might start to do, you know, to uh, put together some kind of a, a campaign, a broader approach, um just to remind the passengers and everybody else. I worry, though, that this law, like a lot of traffic laws and a lot of other laws in Taiwan, is just going to sit there without much enforcement. Um, you know, I, I, Taiwan does appear to take the DUI laws a lot more seriously than other traffic laws. You see the, the checkpoints around town at night for that reason. Um, I suspect that a lot of drunk drivers could be caught by just simply more police activity on the small stuff like if you're to if you see somebody with a tail light out or if they're making an illegal turn you have probable cause it's late at night they're in a bar district so you pull them over you you check them out right then and there before they get they get any further on the road
0: there was also talk of uh, having people who have been convicted of dui offenses having to install something called an interlocking system in their cars where to open the car you have to take a breathalyzer test
2: yeah i mean i think i think that's a good idea that could be one measure that that could definitely be trialed um uh it it may work but i mean coming back to my my general point i think there just needs to be a a big cultural shift um in thinking about drink driving The, the kind of shift that had to really be worked on say in the uk or the us i mean Where it has become socially unacceptable to drink and drive, and if you are, you know, a DUI in the US, um, if if it's 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 a matter of shame. I mean, it's not uh, drinking and driving. Um, is not seen as you know some kind of jolly japes where you know someone 's just been caught driving into a lamppost because they had too many beers it 's seen as something that's that 's completely you know you 're a social pariah if you do that kind of thing because you 're not only risking your own life you 're risking the lives of of many other innocent people and it 's just completely unacceptable so I think the only way that you can do that is not by just threatening um more financial penalties as you know as ralph said um there's a question then of enforcement as well um but you you have to you you just have to have um more education and just change people's minds about drink driving
0: right nicola mentioned earlier ralph i mean a, a shock treatment sort of like very graphic television commercials or movie cinema commercials do you see that happening here I was wondering
1: about that ever since she mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. I've been thinking about whether that would work and whether Taiwan might try. Like, I kind of think both. They, they could because when the government wants to use propaganda, for lack of a better word, to get the word out on something, they have the resources. They're good at making cute little videos and putting them online and, and getting some of their friendlier TV media to, to air those. So I think they could. I don't know what the public reaction would be. Um, you know, I think the public sees plenty of TV footage of real accidents if the cameras get close enough and nobody... Uh, I, I don't hear much squawking or objections from the masses that I'm aware of. So it might actually work.
2: I think also just a more general point about driving is that the driving test itself doesn't really teach people... Um, how to manage on actual roads. I mean, it's all done mainly on a course um, and, and you know, an electronic course where you learn things like to, to drive forward in an S shape and drive backwards in an S shape, which has no relevance to actual driving. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's a deeper issue that goes beyond just drink driving, um, you know, in terms of road safety, that's, that's something that the Department of the Ministry of Transport should look at, whether people are being taught to drive in the right way. And, you know, you could bring drink driving, um, aspects about drink driving into, uh, the, the, into the road test as well and just, you know, kind of teach people more about the consequences of, of drink driving.
0: We have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and US lawmakers from across party lines this week introduced a bill in the Senate that seeks to strengthen ties with Taiwan and support its international presence. Now the introduction of the Taiwan Assurance Act comes as both sides celebrate the 40th anniversary of the enactment of the Taiwan Relations Act. And according to Republican Senator Tom Cotton, the legislation will deepen bilateral security, economic and cultural relations, while also sending a message that China's aggressive cross-strait behaviour will not be tolerated. Now the Taiwan Assurance Act requires the US President to review the State Department's guidelines relations with Taiwan and directs the Secretary of Defense to work to include Taiwan in bilateral and multilateral military training exercises. It also mandates that a flag or general officer serve as the US defense attaché in Taipei and that the US will continue to push for Taiwan's meaningful participation in international organizations. And all that, Ralph, sounds a lot like the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act which was signed by President Donald Trump into law on December the 31st of last year. And you being an American, your take on this, thing as you're the qualified person.
1: Well, I'll quote my, one of my editors, who's also an American, saying, Ralph, don't tell me this story anymore. It's been going on since early 2018. And we did a couple of pieces then about growth in Taiwan-U.S. relations. And what, the, the cases you've cited are simply, to me, a continuation of that trend. I'll also quote one of my favorite analysts who ends up in my copy sometimes saying that all of these things, these acts, these, these pledges, they are all written in a way that is, they can be um, scaled back. <clears throat> they don't obligate you to do anything. Uh, they allow you to do things. Um, there's nothing that's particularly penetrating. You can have visits, you can make statements. <clears throat> um, and um, the only thing that really matters in the end um, perhaps in a material way, are these arms sales, which has been going on from one president to the next in the United States, as well as here. So, um, you know, it's I think these the U.S.-Taiwan relations, these milestones that we talk about track very well back to the Taiwan Relations Act of 40 years ago, because that itself is advisory. It is not an obligation by the United States to help Taiwan. It's an obligation to consider helping Taiwan to evaluate their defense needs and see what you want to do about it, which could be everything or nothing. Uh, So to me, that means if the U.S. and China decide to get along better again someday, then all these advisory acts with Taiwan can just kind of sit there without being acted upon because there's no obligation in the first place.
0: Right, so Nicola, there you go, these U.S. senators patting themselves on the back, the government here jumping up and down with joy, but pretty much a waste of everyone's time.
2: Well, it's not a total waste of time. I mean, you know, it's, it's good music, mid-music. It's, it's um, uh, a positive trend. Uh, it's kind of good morale boost for Taiwan. But as, as Ralph said, there's kind of no obligation to stick, stick by any of these agreements. Um, so I think we just need to keep an air of reality about it. But, you know, let them have their happy moment.
0: There we go. And well, that's all will say about that one. We'll move on. Now it's been a while since we talked about Uber, but the ride hailing service was back in the news this week with the Nikkei Asian Review quoting Uber's head of policy for North Asia as saying that the government here in Taiwan is changing the rules. And as a result of that, it's becoming very difficult for the business to run properly. Now the new rules that the Uber executive was talking about were announced last month. And the Ministry of Transport then said Uber will have to change an out charge, rather, an hourly or day daily base rate instead of the current distance-based fare, and Uber drivers will also be banned from operating like regular taxis and picking up fares after being hailed on the street. Now, according to figures, Uber has around 3 million registered users here in Taiwan and more than 10,000 drivers. Of course, they're not all hailing cabs, as Uber also offers food delivery services under its Uber Eats. I believe they also have a delivery service for packages as well. Now, Uber withdrew, of course, from Taiwan's market in February of 2017 for two months after the company was fined 30 million NT. That fine, though, was lifted by the Taipei High Administrative Court in December of last year after it ruled that the Directorate General of Highways simply didn't have the authority to impose the fine on the company or stop Uber's operations in Taiwan in the first place. So, Nicola, Uber's not happy with the government still, but then, you know, taxi drivers here aren't happy with Uber.
2: Well, taxi drivers never seem to be happy about anything anywhere, do they? I mean we have to put that one aside for a minute, but it 's such a a regressive step um, I mean surely there can be a happy medium that the government can maybe just try a little bit hard harder to to find between uh, nobody wants to see taxis disappearing from the street. At the same time, you've got, as you said, 3 million registered users for Uber, 10,000 drivers. That's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of you know extra income for families. That's a lot of happy people using the service. There must be a reason for that. Um, and, you know, if Taiwan wants to promote itself as um, an island where innovation thrives, where technology thrives, where it's good for startups, then this isn't a good look. Uber already complied with the last um, government requirements from two years ago. And now the government's just changing the goalposts again.
1: I remember this story coming up in 2016. And ever since then, I've watched out of the corner of the corner of one eye what's going to happen to Uber. And um, It surprised me over the past week to see the news because I thought they were, if not technically gone, they were sort of in the background and it wasn't an issue. But apparently they've come back. So there must be a demand for them. Um, We have um, strong yellow taxi fleets in the city of Taipei, maybe not so much outside the city, and you need to call hail a driver out there um we've probably all been the Yamingshan. Shan need to get down you can't find a taxi they don't come when you call so i suspect there's some latent demand but i also suspect that the taxi drivers in the yellow cabs are trying to hold them up probably putting a lot of lobby pressure on the government um and i do agree that if the um if taiwan makes it really hard for them and they end up leaving then it, it does send a bad message for for startups and um especially tech startups, and especially as the Thai government has been fairly aggressive and convincingly so in nurturing startups by creating a better
0: environment for them. Right, of I mean, Uber, it's disappeared from nearly everywhere.
2: Um, in Asia, yeah, but then you have alternative um, services which offer this exactly the same kind of um, uh, option for for people who want to get from A to B. You've got Lyft, um, you've got Grab. So if if the government, you know, manages to um, push Uber out of Taiwan, which it seems to want to by its actions, um, they're just going to find that, that someone else will try and take its place because this is 2019. Like people use technology, um, we can't just rely purely on the traditional form of taxis. Anymore because no other country in the world is doing that. I mean, if you look at look at um, China, look at uh, Singapore, Malaysia, all of the countries in the region, they're all using these app based services. Um, and frankly, if if the yellow cabs are, are so upset about it, then they need to they need to get better. They need to provide a better service. They need to get more competitive. Um, you know, as Ralph says, often they don't respond to your calls. Um, They refuse to use GPS. I I mean, personally, I've been thrown out of several cabs because they just they don't know where my address is, even when I give it to them in Chinese and they refuse to use GPS or to even try to find it. Um, You know, a, a lot of taxi drivers are dangerous drivers and the government needs to really start looking at regulating taxis better to make them safer. Um, and and Uber seems to have a lot of happy customers. So you can't just dismiss um, app-based services as you know on on the whims of of taxi drivers. You just have to you know kind of work in the modern era and find some kind of compromise.
1: Yeah, I would I would second all those comments, especially about the the uh, the existing fleet of taxis here. These are you know I hate to say it, they're a bunch of well, they're a bunch of older dudes, right? You know, and and they, you know, they don't drive very safely. They don't understand the technology, including the GPS. Uh, they're they're maudlin drivers, and yeah, there's perhaps a or not, like, as I mentioned earlier, this organic demand to to have something a little bit better, a little bit safer, a little more. A little more 2019. Obviously,
0: taxi drivers were angry that Uber was muscling in. There was also a bit of a stink when the administrative court ruled that they Uber didn't have to pay the 30 million NT
2: fine. Well, that's down to the government, really, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you have to find a way where um, Uber pays um, that taxes are being paid. Um, and you know that that 's down to government officials to to work that out and and it 's been done in many other countries, so why can 't Taiwan also find a solution?
0: Right, and before we go this week, a story that made me laugh in a rather perverse manner anyway was news that authorities in China were forced to destroy 29,000 world map posters printed for export that depicted Taiwan as a country. Now reports say that 800 boxes containing 28,908 maps were shredded at a government-designated secret site in Qingdao. Authorities described the map hall as one of the biggest seizures of problematic maps in decades. Now, the maps were reportedly for educational purposes and printed in English and made by an unnamed company in the city of Hefei in Anhui province, where there's no
2: doubt a re-education programme now underway. Well, you've got to love these map spats, don't you? I mean, there's so many around the world, and China seems to be involved in a lot of them. But have they never heard of the internet? I mean, really, you know, if you just... If you just destroy these physical maps, and people can look these things up. I mean, it just seems like a pointless exercise of pettiness.
0: But they were made for export, though, in English. I wonder where they were going. Uh, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe Scotland was independent on them, but nobody Very noticed. Positive. Maybe,
2: are you alleging that Nicola Sturgeon could have tried to, <laughs> to block the import of these maps?
0: Ralph, the map, did it make you laugh, or did you just shrug your shoulders and go, "Oh, another one? Well, I wanted to see it as to. Uh, you mentioned
1: Scotland might have been listed as independent. What about Texas and Hawaii? You got it. You know, let's go all the way and see what's on there. I, I didn't laugh. Uh, well, I should have laughed. I wanted to laugh, but then um, I realized that if I were to transport myself back to China, where they used to live, um, you know, the government there is going to take this as a as some kind of a, a laurel because it's going to come. It, it will make them look like they're getting tough on the. The the Taiwan issue, um, you know, stopping imports that go against their their political will. To me, it falls more in line with these um, demands over the past couple of years that multinational companies change their websites to avoid casting Taiwan as anything but part of China. Um, And they're just going to take this as part of this bigger program, which is, um, I guess we can laugh at the moment, but then we, we... if we stand back and see what China's really trying to do, then it's a little scarier
2: yeah, that's true. If, if you look at the the bigger picture um then it is part of a kind of general narrative and a kind of general um, you know a huge effort by China to really um push Taiwan off the map literally um but yeah, I mean, in terms of this particular issue it's it's you know a kind of chinese version of virtue signaling and i i think you know the best policy is is just to ignore it really and no
0: doubt the company is no longer making maps
2: i'm sure it's not probably not anyway that's where
0: we'll leave it here on taiwan this week this week and i've been joining the studio today by nicola smith thanks for having me and on the telephone by ralph jennings Thanks, Gavin. And there won't be a show next Friday, April the 5th, as we'll be out of the office for the four-day tomb-sweeping long weekend holiday. But we will, will be returning the following week. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.